So any of the yin depressions, for instance, whether it's food or phlegm, damp or blood, when those are substantial things. So when they don't move, that can lead to chi stagnation, right? Because they're substantial. This is insubstantial. So that's easy to see how they can go. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. We're following a map in our mind and looking for radar pings that match it with the reality of the external world. The truth is, we're always navigating in a fog because it's difficult to see the world as it is rather than through the lens of who we are. So easy to overlay what we think on what actually is with the constant stream of conscious thought that whispers a description of who we imagine our patient to be or hoping that we can find a template that fits their condition so that our work might be helpful to them. When I'm honest with myself, I am too often walking at the edge of uncertainty and unknowing. It's not a comfortable place. I prefer to think and experience myself as a capable and skilled practitioner and so end up dependent on the improvement in my patient's condition for a sense of satisfaction that the work I do has value and makes a difference. For those of us who value ourselves based on the results of our labor, this practice of medicine is difficult. We pay a price for having to come to terms with uncertainty and must find a way to have our engagement with the work itself be enough. There is a line from the Bhagavad Gita that we are entitled to our labor, but not to the fruits of those endeavors. I think it's true. And it's taken a long time to be able to live into the sense of that. How do you define yourself when the results of your labors are not entirely in your hands? Perhaps you are like me in recognizing the deep longing for a sense of certainty and that positive results will naturally follow from doing the right things. The world is often frustratingly frugal in giving us what we think we deserve in exchange for the effort and energy expended. And yet, in typical contradictory in yang fashion, it is the moments of greatest uncertainty, the moments where we didn't take the next step, but instead took a leap, a leap that we might not have been able to explain to ourselves or anyone else that in retrospect brought about the most profound transformations in life. We crave certainty, but it is the chaotic potential of the unknown that holds the greatest potency for learning and for transformative change. The usual maps, guides, and methods are wonderful when they approximate reality and function as expected. But they are a hindrance when exploring new terrain. It's all too easy to take the unknown and try to shoehorn it into the familiar. Being able to distinguish when we have a reliable map and when we're in an uncharted landscape is an essential skill for a clinic that is also helpful in other areas of life. Dynamic complex systems, be they biological or societal, rarely act the way we imagine they should. We are often enough up against the limits of our understanding when others are relying on us to be capable guides. 
it's unavoidable in the practice of medicine. And this is where the first principles of our medicine are most useful. Are we looking at excess or deficiency, heat or cold, yin or yang? Is the issue at hand due to the failure of generation? Or is it coming from a lack of control? I suspect we all crave the solidity of a definitive diagnosis. We want a reliable result as the fruit of our labor. But often enough, we don't have a diagnosis. We have a hypothesis. And we have to test it with the treatments that we give and then be able to attend to the results. What we do might not work. And there's plenty of getting it wrong on the way to getting it right. It helps to take the result of your treatments as feedback and not a commentary on your worth. So long as you have the capacity to inquire and not shy away from the recognizing where you got it wrong, the medicine and your patients will teach you how to get better at your craft. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office, and I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. 
And be sure to mention the code GEOLOGICAL at the time of sign up for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. It takes time and practice to understand our medicine and to be able to use it in ways so that our failures can be instructive and assist us in getting better at what we do. It helps to have teachers and mentors who can help us to better engage the basic principles of East Asian medicine. Too often, I hear people say, Chinese medicine doesn't treat that, when I suspect it is more that they've not been able to figure out just how Chinese medicine treats a particular condition. Rob Helmer has been working on first principles for quite a while now. In this conversation, we discuss how mastery arises from a mastery of the basics, that the fundamentals are essential to understanding complexity. He also has some thoughtful ideas about the role of depressive heat that underlies so many of the chronic conditions that you'll see in clinic. Let's jump into this conversation now with Rob. Rob Helmer, welcome to Geological. Thank you, Michael. Good to be with you. I am delighted to have you here. Our mutual friend, Paola Campanelli, said, Michael, you should talk to Rob. Yeah, that's great. Uh, met Paula many years ago working at Mazen Al Kafahaji's clinic, and did I mentored her at the time. And then after that, she took off uh, to the east for many years to learn the language and study in China and Taiwan. So before her return to Germany, so yeah, it was a great connection to connect with yeah. you through her. We got to get, get her on the show here at some point. For sure. Absolutely. So she said, I should talk to you because you have some ideas about using herbs you have, um, and especially around issues of depressive heat. And, and furthermore, one of the things that she said that really got my attention was your focus on making sure that we're clear with knowing what's happening for the patient and knowing what we're doing, which I think is so often the crux of our clinical work. How do we know what we know? Are we really seeing our patients in a clear-eyed way, or are we, or do we have some pet ideas, or do we just not know? We're just kind of unclear, and so we have an idea, and then we look for confirmation bias to uh, make a diagnosis. And so to get that really clear-eyed view, I know for me that's one of my big challenges in clinic. 
Yeah, I think it goes back to our training. Um, our training is, let's say, at a, a, a level five, but our patients are at a level one. So our training initially is at this level. And so it breaks us into our basic patterns and so forth. And we learn that. And it doesn't matter if you learned you know, for hundreds of hours in the 90s or you learn for 5,000 hours now in training. It's the same result, which is we have this maybe the levels have jumped up a bit, but we're still at a lower level to match our patients. So in China, you would be a junior doctor working under a senior doctor, and they would give you the the threes and the four patients to work on. If you proved yourself, then you would move up to getting the twos and the ones. You wouldn't be given them, but we walk into clinic and we got ones showing up. We got autoimmune conditions like multiple sclerosis, and then the next patient has endometriosis, infertility, or premature ovarian failure. Then we have psoriasis, and then rheumatoid arthritis and cancer. And these um, patients will, with chronic conditions, they're going to present with four to eight patterns simultaneously. So one of the things for me, when I first got out, I would use these books that were the books that are used in Chinese medicine schools. And I would be like, oh, it's liver cheese stagnation. I start to treat that. And those symptoms get better. And no, no, the spleen. And, and I go over there and I jump back and forth. And then I was lucky enough to uh, I was searching for someone that really was to confirm what I was seeing in clinic, which was there's a, everything's going on basically. And I was introduced to Bob Flaws and became a student of his for quite some time. And just was anything blue poppy was putting out at the time. I remember cassette tapes, hundreds and hundreds of hours. And he introduced me to Lee Dong Yun's Yin Fire, Judon Shi's Six Depression and Lu Wan Su's uh, similar transformation. This was like 20 years ago. So since then, I've been just kind of looking at these theories and how do we explain how the interconnected of, of the different patterns. So when we have, for instance, uh, spleen chi deficiency or vacuity or shu, then that can lead to the liver chi stagnation. That can lead to food stagnation. That can lead to phlegm. That can lead to dampness. That can lead to blood stasis and that can lead to blood deficiency and then therefore yin deficiency. So I have it very clear in my head. So when I see spleen chi deficiency, I need to be very clear of what are the clinical symptoms that present for spleen chi so I can confirm that. But then I need to go and check these different things. And same with the six depressions, or some people learn it as the six stagnations. And when you have one, you have to check for all of them. And Bob Flaws used to talk about, it's like cockroaches. When you have one, you have more than one. And no one ever likes that, but I've lived in an inner city and had cockroaches. And when you have one, you have more than one. If you've had mice, you know, so forth. And um, so this journey, the, the, the journey I'm interested in is how do we go from textbook knowledge and very, very enthusiastic to going to treating and actually helping. And when I mean helping, I mean treat the patient so they get better and they stay better versus they get better, but they continue to come to see you forever. That's what I call the never, never plan. They never completely get better and they never stop coming to see you. I'm more curious and interested in the, you know, come to see me for four to six months and then send you on your way and teach you how to prevent it from coming back. That's, and so these theories and how to look at these complex patterns and be very clear. Oftentimes from the beginning, we'll talk about peeling onions. I am against peeling any onion. I am into treating all four to eight patterns at the same time with one formula or acupuncture prescription. I'm not into peeling a layer. That doesn't work for me. And that's not how I teach. And clinically, it just doesn't get success long-term. So 
I'm against peeling onions uh, in this this metaphor. I'm more into be very clear what's going on, and then you simplify. So when you're saying the liver cheese stagnant, then it's like, well, I'm going to use chai hu and shang fu and huan pi, or I'm going to use large intestine four or liver three, you know. And so, but I can't do ten herbs for that pattern or 10 because there's also four, five, six, seven other patterns going on that need to be addressed. So we get down to the very basics and um, yeah, I can go on further on about that, but that's kind of a starting place of, I think the greatest doctors I've come in contact with are the clearest doctors. How can a doc, how can a doctor in China see 50 patients in the morning, but yet they, they give you the diagnosis, they give you the treatment principles and they give you the formula and do tongue and pulse within three to five minutes. It's because of the clarity, the clarity. You have to be clear. And then from clarity comes confidence. You get clear on your diagnosis. You get clear on your treatment. You get results. You get confident. So clarity and confidence is basically, I think, my approach and my way of teaching and helping people is getting, if they come from a seminar or a course for me, it's like I'm clearer. At what level? It depends on where they started. But they're going to be clearer. And they're going to look at, like any great thing, is you you come across a writing or a teaching, whatever it's spirituality or business or whatever. You kind of look at the world through different eyes, and so some of these teachings about let's get very clear. But to do that, we have to get rid of our, our assumptions and some of our past experience and mixing things like modern medicine. We have to get very clear uh, with this. So clarity is paramount, and I just know that from seeing great doctors. They're the clearest thinkers. Well, I would say in my clinical experience, I have found that when I am clear, when I see something in somebody and I go, this is, this is the pattern, this is it. And, and like you were just saying, we're often seeing several different patterns at the same time. That's very, very common, especially in our modern age. Well, you know, I haven't lived in anything other than the modern age, so who knows what happened in the past. But I know in my experience, I'll be seeing several things simultaneously. It's easy to, like, pick a favorite. Oh, I liver cheese stagnation. I like treating that. I know how to treat that. I'm going to treat that. And kind of ignore the blood stasis or kind of ignore the blood deficiency because of the blood stasis. Yeah. So a question that I carry into clinic for myself is how are the different patterns that I see related to each other? Now, of course, everything is connected to everything. And so we could take that stance and go, well, I got to do something about everything because everything's connected. That said, generally, there are certain things that are going to be a bit more primary, right? It's like a bigger domino. It's like, it's like if you knock this one thing over, it's going to take care of the other things. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. The way I approach it is this, is you collect the symptoms of the individual. So usually in a chronic patient, their cheese stagnated, the liver cheese, liver, what liver depression, cheese stagnation. When I say liver depression, cheese stagnation, that means the cheese stagnation is coming from an emotional source. So this is, you know, historically, this isn't me making it up. Sometimes this is trans, depression is translated. It's the character you, it's translated as constraint or pent up energy or, and, and often in English, it's totally left out. But it's code in Chinese. When you say liver depression, cheese stagnation, you know that cheese stagnation is coming from emotions versus cheese stagnation and blood stasis that's caused by a traumatic injury, for instance. It's different. Mm -hmm. It's different. And the treatment's different. And then there's specific herbs. I have an article coming out in The Lantern in September where I talk about depressive heat. 
And so there's specific herbs, if you look at the materia medica, that resolve depression, you know? And so there's, it's a code. These, these little things are important. And then mm -hmm. the spleen so being- So from your perspective here, liver chi stagnation means emotions are involved. Liver depression chi stagnation, yes. Mm -hmm. It means that emotions are evolved. They're the cause. And so stress, and the definition of stress in Chinese is unfulfilled desires. So that's a big topic to talk about unfulfilled desires. But, you know, you desire something to be different than it is. Isn't that basically the human condition? Something, we have something and we don't want it. We want to get rid of it. So we're unhappy. Or there's something that we don't have and we want it. And so we're unhappy. Yeah. And then there's that equanimity state in between where maybe we don't care or maybe we've somehow worked with it. But this is, I mean, you're talking about the essence in some ways of, of a human being living in the material world. Exactly. And I, I just wrote an article for the Journal of Chinese Medicine talking about COVID and the pandemic, how it's affecting us. And here we have, we've grown up, we have everything we want when we want it, living a privileged life. And now we have a pandemic that's restricted us, maybe our desires for the first time in our life. And people can't cope. They don't have the resiliency because they've had this previous life. So in modern society, we want things and we want that now. So we have more desires. If you look historically at countries that never had a TV, then all of a sudden they get the TV and they think, oh, things can be different. Instead of like, this is just the way things are. I'm going to be a fisherman because my, all the, you know, we start to get choice. Like my generations before me were fishermen. So I'm a fisherman. I'm going to live here. And then the stress of, oh, I have choice. And it goes back to the ancient Chinese medicine. They say in adults, blame the liver. This is 2000 years old. So why do they say that? Well, to become an adult, right? To become an adult is you have to put your desires to the side. So as a young child, it's like, I want to put this in my mouth. And, you know, they put it in their mouth, right? You know, they want something, they just do it right away. And you get the, what they call the terrible twos where they don't get what they want. Their ego's developing and then they throw a spaz, <laughs> you know, like they, they get really upset that they don't get what they want when they want it. So as you become an adult, as you mature, then what happens is you put your desire, even if you have to wait, but modern society has built this, you know, besides food and drink and shelter, everything else is a desire. What else? You know, it's not a need. You're, you're getting that new TV or car or going on two vacations or three vacations a year. These aren't needs. These are all desires. And so this understanding that does, you're desiring for things to be different than they are or were. And if you hold on to that, the more desires you have, the more unfulfilled desires you have naturally. If you and I went out one night and we fulfilled all our desires, oh, I like that car. Let's take the car. We're going to end up either in jail or a mental hospital. And everyone's going to say, look how immature they are. Right? So the maturity is to become um, this. The, it's about the liver's function and this is affected by this. It's affected by the pandemic, but it's affected by everyday life. So I had a patient last night, she's yesterday, 76 years old, and now she's having trouble sleeping the last month. Well, what was the cause of it? Well, my husband was diagnosed with stage four kidney cancer and it's malignant. She has a desire not to have her husband die, right? And be sick. So this is unfulfilled desire. So you have to understand this is a, it is the human condition to suffer right? And to not have these desires and the pain. But the more we hang on and the more we have, the more we're going to suffer eventually. And so 
it's part of a spirit. It's all about a spiritual solution for, for this. There's, it gets really deep, really quick, but what we can use it for is if we know that this is the common pattern, we can identify it. Then we can teach people about how to move their chi, you know, exercise, vigorous exercise, relaxation, meditation, qigong, tai chi, but I'm more into vigorous exercise, actually. It's it's one, sometimes people are doing lighter exercise, but they stretching, but they really need to move the chi and sweat. You can use, um, I developed an essential oil to help uh, that's being used in China and studied to help relax the system. Acupuncture moves the moves the energy in a deep way. So we can teach people instead of the other things where you get this pent up energy, how do people relieve it? All your addictions, sex, drugs, rock and roll, right? To move the chi. But in, in doing that, you harm the system, right? Well, you harm the system. You also get into this kind of runaway feedback loop. Sure. Oh, that was satisfying. It's like a nice. It's like a nice meal. You're hungry. You eat a great meal. Well, you're satiated until it's time to eat again. Yeah, absolutely. So the mechanism, the way I teach it to a patient, it's like you get this buildup of energy in the body, and it's kind of like pressure in a tire. You're pumping air, and the air is trying to move, mm -hmm. and it cannot, and that can create a heat, which we we can talk about later about depressive heat. So what happens is you get this internal pressure building up and it's, it's very evident during the pandemic time, like even more so like with the restrictions and different things going on, money loss, et cetera. So this, this builds up and people feel it. So they do stuff to move the energy, you know, coffee, nicotine, drugs, alcohol, uh, addiction to pornography, addiction to sex, excessive shopping, anything that gives them a high temporarily. However, what happens is it weakens the system or your bank account, you know, in the sense of financial stuff. And then it causes you more stress or the body or the system gets stressed more easily. So you drink alcohol, you don't sleep as well, then you're more likely to be more stressed the next day. And then you're going to need, and then as addictions go, you need more of the same thing to get the high. Or just to feel normal. Yeah. So, but it's this mechanism of the chi stagnating, you relieve it, but in doing so you weaken the system so that you chi stagnation comes more. And so it's this vicious cycle. So you have to step out of the cycle. So some people could come in and, and they're, they're using cocaine and they're smoking and they're, they're drinking. Um, but I, it doesn't matter what they're doing. I just know they're self-medicating their condition. And I know when their condition improves and the chi moves and this and that, they'll be less likely to do those things. And there's a lots of psychotherapy around these different firefighting techniques, but it's just all they're doing is they're suffering and they're trying to get some relief from their suffering. And we're going to do it in a different way. So it's not judgmental. You need to stop doing this and put more stress on them. Let's help them so that they're feeling stronger, more balanced, and then they won't make these choices. Yes. Yes. I think we can trust our Zheng Qi and our yuan chi that if these things are like uncorked and flowing properly, they help to keep us moving in a positive direction. For sure. For sure. One, I've been doing a lot of research on insomnia and, and publishing information. And one example is if you sleep better, you make better food choices. So if you sleep better, you're not going to have as high fat, high sugar foods. You're going to cook your own food more. And we know if we have sleep better, we're going to have more energy and then we're going to have less caffeine and we're going to exercise more. So everything feeds, these pillars feed into each other. It's kind of like you can get the negative momentum of disease and imbalance, but you can also get the positive effect and momentum mm -hmm. of healing, which is 
you know, you sleep better, you get more energy, you exercise, and that'll help you sleep better and, and so forth. So yeah, it's just this dynamic of, um, yeah, you supporting the system, but good, good choices lead to better choices to health basically. Yes. So you get the virtuous cycle. Yeah. And, and things go better. I want to get into your thoughts on depressive heat. I know you've got an article coming out in The Lantern. You were generous enough to share that with me. Yes. So I've had a chance to, to read through it. And let's go back to that character, you stagnation for a moment. It's uh, If you look at it in the traditional Chinese, it, it's an extremely complicated character. It's a real hassle to write it because there's like, I don't know, 15 or 17 strokes in it. And it's basically an image of being enclosed and trapped in a forest, in a gloomy forest. Mm. It's like you're stuck in this place and you, and you can't see a way out. That's the, the you, the, the, the depressive stagnation. And I think we see this with so many dynamics where there's stasis. You were talking about pumping up the tire. You can think about she being depressed. Um, you can think about a temperature inversion for that matter out in the natural world and then, and then things don't circulate and heat builds up. You can get heat build up from blood stasis. You can get it from cheese stagnation, get it from emotional stagnation. And then the heat often looks like a problem. And you go, oh, I got to do something about this heat. Or maybe you look at the heat, which is actually a big piece of the issue. And you think, well, you know, they got kidney yin deficiency. So I've got to nourish the yin and then I'll get rid of the heat. But one of the points that you make in your paper, which I really cotton to, it got my attention. We often think of ourselves as, oh, there's something wrong. I've got, I've got to strengthen it. But often what you need to do is take that mischief maker and kick it to the curb. You get that heat out. Yes. A lot of other things get better. Yes, for sure. So often our patients have, there's many things you mentioned there. So there's a few things to kind of delve into here to kind of explain it. The one is the theory of the six depressions. And then there's a theory of the similar transformation and how those manifest. And then we can tie it into the yin deficiency, which is probably the most uh, uh, overdiagnosed pattern in TCM. For mentoring and teaching for many years, this is by far the pattern that gets diagnosed. Even without symptoms, people are diagnosing this all the time because the person's a menopausal age, so they're automatically this or or so forth. Or they or they used to do recreational drugs, so they that wears the kidney in. So they, there's a lot of assumptions made instead of looking at, I'm a fact-based person. I'd say it's like a mm. detective. You cannot, you need facts and evidence. You can't- Evidence-based medicine. You can, have in, you can have intuition as well within it to where to look, but you still need to collect, ev you need to collect evidence. Well, you know, in Chinese, you probably, you probably know this from spending time in China. The word evidence and the word diagnosis, Jung, it's the same character. Mm. Yeah, I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's that's that's, that's further, you know, makes the point for me. So, if we want to delve into depressive heat, so I think most people would agree that most patients have an element of heat. Chronic patients have an element of heat. So, what are our choices of types of heat? Well, we have the deficient yin heat, we have phlegm heat, we have damp heat, we have excessive heat, replete heat, or fire, this, this category. So those are kind of our types of heat. 
But the heat that's talked about the least is depressive heat, and it's the most common type of heat. So let's delve into, you You use the word, um, so depression could be translated as stagnation, but the word stagnation is jur, and it's a different character. So oftentimes they're used together. So you used it in your, I don't use it in the explanation of the character because, uh, and I use Nigel Wiseman's and Fung Yi's dictionary. This is what I use as my, because I'm not a linguist. And so they just try to use different, if it's a different character, they try to use a different word. So you, you're, it's not wrong to use it, but it's also confusing because it's a different character than is mm -hmm. normally translated as stagnation. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Well, there's two things. I'm going to, I want to jump in here for just a second. There's two things that I've seen in Chinese, and, and if you read a little Chinese, it, 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 this is kind of a clue. They'll often talk about jur as going with qi, qi jur. Mm -hmm. So if there's qi stagnation, they'll often talk about jur. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to you, it could it often means either blood stasis or it's this kind of depression that you're talking about right now. Yeah, okay. So there's the six depressions, and one of those depressions, they used to call it qi depression, blood depression, but now they use different words. So chi depression equals chi stagnation. Blood depression is blood stasis. Food depression is food mm. stagnation, etc. So there's the way I teach it is there's four yin depressions and that's blood, uh, phlegm, dampness, and food stagnation. And there are two yang depressions and that is chi stagnation and heat. So those are your six. Mm -hmm. And this was a theory of Judon Shi and he's known he had... He had the formula Baoho Wan. He had the formula Yuju Wan, which is the one that usually is taught. And when you talk about six stagnations or depressions, people know it just from that formula. They don't know beyond that. Um, and then he also did a, a famous formula called Dabu Yin Wan, um, which we use as a, a yin tonic. So those are three major formulas. And I, in the article for the lantern, I point out these different aspects. And so these are our six depressions. And so when you have one of them, then you you can easily get the other. So any of the yin depressions, for instance, whether it's food or phlegm, damp or blood, when those are substantial things. So when they don't move, that can lead to chi stagnation, right? Because they're substantial. This is insubstantial. So that's easy to see how they can go. And then it's easy to see how chi stagnation can lead to food stagnation because chi is not moving, then 
if we're stressed out, we go to eat, our food doesn't settle well, or the cheese not moving, it can lead to dampness accumulation or, or phlegm accumulation. And then blood stasis is very common in our clinic. But if you look up, you know, because mastery is only mastery of the basics. So if you look at the basics, what causes blood stasis? Chronic blood stasis. All right. And the chronic blood stasis is caused by cheese stagnation. That's, that's for most of our patients, this long-term chi stagnation leads to blood stasis. And then if chi accumulates, it can create a heat. And then we can explain that through the theory of uh, similar transformation, which I'll, I can jump into or take questions on the six depressions now. But then I would, I'm going to go into the theory of similar transformation to explain the heat aspect. Let's hear that. Okay. So this is how my analogy, I like to tell stories to my patients and also to students or, or when I'm mentoring. So the theory of similar transformation is, is the analogy I use is you're in a very cold environment, let's say Northern Canada, and it's middle of winter. It's like minus 30 degrees Celsius and you are hiking through the woods and you're somewhat lost and it's night starting to come because it comes early and you look over in the distance and you see a cabin. And in this cabin, you see smoke coming out and there, it's, it's lit up somehow. So you, you go towards it and you knock on the door. So you're very cold, right? You knock on the door and a jolly host, large jolly host, red-faced, comes to the door. Come on in, come on in and make yourself at home. So very warm host. And you walk in and there's um, the simple cabin has a roaring fire says, please sit, please sit. And you sit by the fire and he brings you a hearty stew and, and a cup of tea and you warm up. And you start to warm up over time because of the, the company you have, the food and the environment. The environment is warm. Yeah, it's hot. And the guest, you, are cold. But the longer that the guest is in the host, it will transform into the host. All right. So let's take this to the human body now. So when a disease enters the body, so let's say simple wind cold enters the body and it starts out as wind cold and then it transforms to heat. So our, our runny mucus and our chills turn to more fever and yellow mucus and sore throat and we're coughing up thicker phlegm. This is the transformation of this heat. Now, in one individual that could happen in within an hour or two, some person it might take three or four days to get there, but eventually the longer it's you know, kind of the deeper it goes into the body, the more heat. Why? Because the body's hot. So when we get any of these other depressions, whether it's food stagnation, it turns into food stagnation and heat. But if you look at the formula Balhoan, he adds, Judon, she adds Lian Chow to this formula. Right. If you look, yes. if you look at uh, in other formulas, you just see this. It's like, oh, I'm going to clear heat still, and you see Zhao Yao Sun and Danjer Zhao Yao Sun. And so, phlegm. It was interesting because I asked Paula. She was spent uh, time in Chengdu in pediatrics, and I at one time specialized in pediatrics. And she said, oh, 60 percent of the patients had cough, or 70 percent. And I said, well, that's the, actually the most common reason that a parent will bring to any medical modern mess included is a cough. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I go, how did the doctor treat it? And she said he had three patterns, wind heat, phlegm heat, and damp heat. And why? Well, kids are young in nature. So the younger the child, the more young they are. So they're not going to have a, and she said, oh, maybe in a few years, there was one case of cold. And so our modern patients, because of our lifestyle and so forth, and because of the chronic nature, they have these Dampness is damp heat. 
right? It's not cold, damp in the lower warmer. You don't see evidence of it in clinic. You don't see blood cold, in my opinion, but you see lots of blood stasis with heat. But the renaissance of Chinese medicine was thought of as the Jinyuan dynasty. And that's when Judan Shi, Lu Wansu, Zhang Zihe, and Li Dongyuan lived. And they went from disease is not caused by external, it's caused by internal. Lu Wansu came along, in my own words, and says, out of all those wind and damp and all this, the most predominant thing is heat. And then Li Dongyuan comes along and says, it's internally generated. So even if there are signs of cold, and often we do see signs of cold, so I'm thinking of menstrual issues in particular, right? You, you never see women putting ice packs on their belly because it makes them feel better. They always use heat. There's often an aspect of cold that goes with menstrual issues. At the same time, I can see what you're saying, that that cold can cause a kind of stagnation that then leads to heat. You know, and, and we'll hear about these patterns of like cold wrapped in heat, which I remember when I was in school, teachers saying that, and I could not crack that nut. I just could not, I didn't have the mental gymnastics to see how that stuff would work. But after some time in practice, you can see how these things transform from one into the other. Well, what I would say is that you can have cold and heat simultaneous, but there isn't cold in absence of heat. So an example is you could have a cold, damp spleen, so to speak, spleen chi being low and tendency cold and damp, and then you could have a hot stomach at the same time, such as in the formula ban shashashan tong. So these things can coexist, but it, it's not just how many patients have you, I don't know if I've ever saw in clinic, a patient that comes in with just stomach cold. As you see, the difference is, yes, there might be in this element of, you know, this part of the body's um, damp and this part's dry, just like a garden. But the heat aspect, if you go into it and Li Dong Yun's Yin Fire and Bob Flaws and Blue Poppy and Chip Chase, who's passed on now, they were doing these translations and kind of unlocking these puzzles of these books to say, there's always liver depression, chi stagnation. There's also the spleen's always weak. There's some type of heat. These are the key elements. So if we go into clinic and we're expecting there to be liver depression, chi stagnation, we collect the facts and evidence. Then we collect the facts and evidence of the spleen, chi being weak. And then we find out what type of heat. Then we're now into three, four patterns already. And this is the basis. So that doesn't include blood stasis. That doesn't include yang deficiency. That doesn't include yin deficiency. It but it gives us the solid base of what's there. It's a better starting place than one pattern. You're already three to four in, and now you have to check these other things. It's every patient, right? It's every patient. So it's not like you, oh, I don't know if I see this in clinic. And that's where the clarity comes from. Once you say depressive heat, so if we go into depressive heat, the liver chi doesn't move, and that causes depressive heat in the liver. So if the person has bitter taste in the mouth in the morning, they have more extreme um, symptoms of liver chi stagnation. Uh, they get flush easily with alcohol or, or uh, when they're nervous. These are some signs that there's this depressive heat in the, in the body. It could be they get heat symptoms premenstrually, like a patient last night. Like they'll get sweating premenstrually. It's not related to yin deficiency. It's related to chi stagnating. So once you're able to identify chi stagnation clearly and then this depressive heat, now, depressive heat, once it's formed in the liver, it goes upwards. 
So this heat forms, pathologically heat goes upward, so it can go up to the heart and cause insomnia, palpitations, restlessness, anxiety, sores on the tip of the tongue, all your red face, etc. Or it can go up to the head, headache, tinnitus, uh, red eyes, all the different skin problems that happen on the head and the face, primarily rosacea, acne, seborrheic dermatitis, uh, right? And so, and I would say that there's different types of, so the depressive heat is there. And then what type of depressive heat is there? Is it depressive heat in the, the lungs, the stomach, liver, gallbladder? Then we might use Xiao Chai Hutong, right? If it is mm -hmm. if it's a type of blood heat, which means uh, blood heat could cause different skin problems, but it also could cause menstruation to come early or be excessive. And that's the key indication for Danger Xiao Sun initially. So that's a depressive heat formula. Or is it affecting the mental emotional? And we can get into Chai Hu Longu Muli Tong. This is depressive heat. They have all have Chai Hu in the formula combined with other herbs because they're Chai Hu is moving the chi and then they're clearing the heat. If you clear heat, I mean, if you move the chi and don't clear heat enough, this is where you could get side effects of upper symptoms of heat going or the heat symptoms could get worse because you're, and that's where um, I had a patient last night with insomnia that's had insomnia, sleeping really well, went drinking and couldn't sleep that night and got all these heat symptoms in the system. So oftentimes we, I, there's so many hundreds of cases of people that you help their depressive heat and their night sweats and hot flashes go away quickly within days. It's because you're nourishing the yin. So I haven't went into the yin aspect yet, but is there any further explanation like on, on those two things? So we have six depressions that can each lead to each other. So when we have one, we check for all of them. And then we know that they have this transformative heat aspect. So when you, when you have these things, is there an element of heat? And this, I talked a little bit about the liver depressive heat and how that can go to different areas. And then, and this is all part of yin, yin, yin fire. And I have my own diagrams of how to ex explain this. Um, but then we can talk about yin deficiency and how it gets confused. I want to talk about yin fire in just a second. Something that I just think I got from this conversation. I love these conversations because things will arise in my mind, assumptions I've had or just noticing the way that I work or things that I've believed. And then I hear people like you say something and I go, oh... I think there's, I think here's a place that might be helpful for me in my own clinical work. So I, I'm probably not alone in having had a kind of a bias that if I can get the chi to move, I can probably help a lot of problems resolve. But what I just heard you say is that if there's depressive heat and you move the chi, you can make that depressive heat worse. It can actually flare up more. And I realize that I've had this bias toward, oh yeah, get that chi to move. Well, maybe before I move the chi, let's clear some of that heat. In fact, let's take, let's take some of that heat out of there and look again and see what we see. Maybe I don't need to move the chi as much. Or maybe there's something else that I need to do. But it, it, it occurs to me that I've not, re, I've not looked at heat, the depressive heat, as you're talking about it, as a I'm going to say a suspect in, uh, you know, the case that we're trying to crack. And, and I'm wondering for myself as I go back into clinic with this idea to see what I see. So one of the things that I remember studying about in school, uh, another one of those things I was kind of mind-blowing at the time, 
Like, how do I make sense of that? Is this idea of yin fire? Because there can be heat signs, and, and you can think, oh, yeah, well, that is a kidney deficiency, and I take care of that. Well, yin fire, it's going to get worse if you go to moisten and nourish the kidney. So talk to us a bit about yin fire for those who may not have been exposed to it or may be exposed to it, but don't really understand it. That's a big subject. Um, it is a big subject. Yes. And I sometimes I talk about all the things that I've talked about so far are all about part of yin fire. Um, yin fire is the one I hesitate to, to speak about because almost I've never ran into someone that knows about yin fire. Like it's not, it's, I've had teachers that explain, like I said, Bob Flaws and some of these writings. But other than that, most people don't understand yin fire or it's very simplified. Um, so it's a big subject to talk. I just want to step backwards for a second before going forward. Mm. So you talked about, if we look at a, a pretty common case where a female comes in, they have blood deficiency, their spleen cheese weak, and they have liver cheese stagnation, they have some type of heat. Let's say that's depressive heat, which it most commonly is. So this is a very common pattern. And we prescribe Donjur Shalya Sun for the for this patient. And we, you know, we move the chi and we strengthen the spleen and stomach and 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 nourish the blood. And so when you reflected there, you said, well, maybe I just need to clear heat and see what happens. And my approach would be you need to treat it all at the same time, but it's about proportion. So in mm -hmm. one patient, their, you know, their, their pulse is very wiry. They have a, a pale tongue, but it's red spots on the side and the tip. And this is showing us depressive heat and the liver is more primary. And then we have another patient, which they have this like hidden, very thin, very weak, deep pulse. And it's, and their tongue is pale and swollen and it's showing us more the spleen's primary. So some people would say, well, I think the spleen's, if, if that's even a big leap for people to, to get it down to that level. But let's say they identify the spleen as the primary thing, okay? And they look at the history. So tongue and pulse are not more important than the other aspects of collecting evidence, but they sometimes can purport, give you the proportion along with history. So, okay, so let's say we, we have this that the spleen is more in this situation, or let's say the liver is more in this situation. Um, so I would say, let's say my prescription, there's a suppressive heat, cheese stagnation, spleen weak and blood. And I, the way I do it is I think about it in proportions. Let's say I diagnose the patient, I think it's 30% heat, 30% cheese stagnation, 20%, 25% spleen chi deficiency, and and 15% blood deficiency, then my prescription, whether it's acupuncture or herbs will reflect those proportions. So it's not, you don't, so some the, this is where get clarity and then simplify versus going to simplification and wanting to be right. But it, yeah, it's not really doing your patient justice because you're going to clear the heat. Now, when you start to treat this heat and you understand depressive heat and so forth, what I found is in the beginning, you need to clear more heat than you think you do. There's more heat often. If the chi has got stagnant to such a point it's creating a heat, then the heat is more than you think. Just like if you have blood stasis, it comes from chi stagnation. You got to move the chi, but you got to move the blood, right? So the proportion in the beginning of treatment will be to clear the heat more. And okay, so lots of patients with us. I check up with a patient yesterday. We've cleared her heat, but what's the cause of the heat? It's the chi stagnation. So now 
I start to take a few of the cheese stagnation uh, and, and the spleen being weak. I take some of the heat herbs out, like the jerza and mudan pea, and I had churchow instead of baishow in the formula. And now I move towards still the underlying mechanism, which is the spleen and the liver, but I don't need to clear the heat. The heat symptoms are gone. And this is after several months of treatment, right? And if you start to take the heat and come and then it starts to come up again, then you realize, you know, you need to still clear more heat. But it's all about proportions, Michael, for me. It's not. So when I first see a patient, I'm not surprised by any pattern that they like have. And I've been practicing a while. So I, I use it as an archery board. And I tell my patients, I say, my first mm-hmm. shot might not be a bullseye, but it's not going to be like, oh, there's a total different pattern I never saw. I'm not surprised. It's about proportion. I start to treat it. And the heat symptoms get uh, better, but the spleen symptoms get worse. And I'll be like, oh, I need to alter it where I need to support. And I know that because of the symptoms, I follow them. So, oh, they're still tired and they still get dizzy on standing. So I know the spleen's weak. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to add Wang Chi and increase the dose of Jurgansau. You know, so I adjust it, but I don't jump ship. Those days of jumping ship are 20 years ago. And that's the knowledge we get. It's this. No, it's this. And we're going to peel the onion. I want to get away from that. No peeling onions. You're going to treat the heat. You just might add to your practice that heat might be more of an element. So you might add in 20% of clearing heat. You might add in large intestine 11, or you might add in Wong Chin in your formula. You're not going to change it totally. You're just going to say, oh, there's heat here. And blood stasis is like that too. There's many people have blood stasis and it's underdiagnosed. So once again, it's not like you're changing everything. It's just like, I didn't realize this cheese stagnation for the last 15 years is causing blood stasis symptoms. When I look further for blood stasis symptoms, I find it. When I look further, I find heat. So what I'm saying is find the heat and then find out where it's coming from. And most times it's coming from cheese stagnation. Yes. So, so find the heat. And if you see some heat, think about cockroaches. There might be more heat than you think there is. Yeah. Okay. And I, I like this. This is very helpful. I like this idea of it's not that they're always oh, at this pattern. Is it that? Is it this? It's like, yes, it's all of these. What's the proportion? Right. We know what the target is. The target is the constellation of patterns that we see. The important thing is. What is the proportion of those? It's not like there's one that's, well, I mean, there might be one that's the main one. But instead of jumping around, oh, it's this, oh, it's that, oh, it's this, and going, you know, slam dunk on any of those directly, how much of each? I mean, it almost sounds like putting together an investment portfolio, right? You want a yeah. little bit of growth. You want a little bit mm-hmm. of uh, bonds. You want some large cap, some small cap. Exactly. What are the, yeah, the proportions really makes a lot of sense. Exactly, and it's it's Michael what happens is it it shifts too based on well, the of course it based does. on the time, the women's menstrual cycle and the seasons and and how much they're exercising and how much stress they have. So you move with the patient. So as it shifts, then you can shift, but you don't shift out of something you don't know. You have to have evidence. You cannot make a diagnosis without the evidence. So if the evidence of that is there, right, then you need to treat it basically. And sometimes of course it's like, well, it's mostly chi stagnation. It's just starting to get some blood stasis symptoms. Maybe moving the chi is enough, you know, 
to to move the blood. Maybe, mm-hmm. but maybe, but it's important to understand that. But that's a choice. Like that would be a choice I make. I mean, like I'm going to move the chi here. I think there's blood stasis. I'm going to put that in my diagnosis because I see a little bit. But I'm going to move the chi a bit and maybe use something like Donggui or Danshan that move or Yi Mutsao that moves the blood a little bit. Uh, but it also helps the chi. So, you know, it's 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 a conscious choice that it's there, but it's just a little bit. Let's see by doing this if it's enough. For instance, Yang. It, all yang is is a bunch of chi. There's no yang deficiency without chi deficiency. So most commonly in clinic, spleen chi deficiency turns into kidney yang deficiency. Kidney yang deficiency doesn't show up out of nowhere. Just like yin deficiency, all yin is is blood, body fluid, and essence. So you don't get yin deficiency, I mean, without blood deficiency, basically. So these, these are progressions of the basics of, of TCM. Yeah, so... The other thing I talk about, there's two kind of, usually I start a seminar and in, in the, um, uh, the Lantern article, they're using this story of the elephant in the dark. And it's an old teaching story. This one comes from uh, Jalaluddin Rumi from the Masnavi. And they talk about, you see this elephant in the dark, no one saw an elephant. And they go in and experience it and describe what they feel. Mm-hmm. Right. And then if we all went in yeah, together, yeah, we and, all, we all know that story. Yeah. Yeah. So this story, it's a great story is how I approach Chinese medicine. Like I'm sharing you my experience, whether that makes it right or wrong. And then I usually end a course with a quote from the, the Buddha, which says, you know, don't believe because some, you read it somewhere. Don't believe because some old age sage told you don't believe in conjecture. Don't believe. But if you hear it and you put it into action and it is true, then live by it. This is, I'm just kind of paraphrasing. Yeah. Well, in essence, you're saying, in essence, you're saying investigate it for yourself. Yes. So it's like any spiritual teaching or other teaching. I'm just a person that's maybe a little further up their mountain than some. And I'm saying, I see this here. Look. And that's what Bob Flaws and other people did for me was they just said, look here. And I've been spending 20 years looking. And now I've developed my own diagrams and maps, which is in the Journal of Chinese Medicine, the June issue of this year, where I share a map that I developed, which is how my brain works. But now I'm, I've actually written it down as a map, how all these things are interconnected. And I, I sent you this as well. And so all it is, is it's not about being right or like I'm right, you're wrong, I'm better. It's just basic Chinese medicine and it's a map and lots of experience saying, this is what's come and I have put it into action. So the depressive heat article is about, this is depressive heat to my understanding. This is how I resolve it, you know, in clinic, look for it. And so the first step for people, once I said clarity and confidence, if you go to your clinic and you read this article or or listen to this podcast interview and you just go to look for heat and you get rid of your assumptions and the veil that's blocking you because of all this talk and what you think you should do in modern medicine and all these blocks and your knee-jerk reactions and you get rid of them and you just look for the facts. Just look for the facts. They'll say kidney indeficiency. I go, what symptoms of kidney indeficiency? And there won't be any. Oh, they have dry mouth or they have night sweats. Well, look in your internal medicine book. There are four main causes of night sweats and one of them is the indeficiency. One of them is heart, blood, spleen chi deficiency, one of them is depressive heat, and one of them is latent heat from a cold. Well, if you haven't had a free bowel condition lately, it's not latent heat. If you're not over 40, it's not going to be the indeficiency. And you know how many patients I treat with depressive heat and 
and this other pattern of the the heart spleen dual deficiency and resolve their night sweating in days. But I was the same person. Like I've fallen in the traps. I've fallen down the mountain, right? It's not because I've been immune to these things. I've saw this elderly patient and tried to treat them with the indeficiency for their insomnia with Ting Mon Bush and Don. And all they got was loose stool. They didn't get better sleep. And then I'll take a 76 year old and I'll treat depressive heat and they get better. So it's, it's through the falling down you know, it's like these investment people that make lots of money because they went bankrupt three or four times. I went, I've made all these mistakes and had someone pointing the light. Maybe it's different. So oftentimes when people hear my teachings or writing, it's like, thank you. I, that's what I've been seeing all along. One of the things to me that that's interesting is we want to get it right. And we want to feel like we're right. Number one, we want to help our patients. Number two, we want to feel like we're decent, competent doctors. Like you were saying, clarity will give you that confidence, and that's a good way to get it. And, and I, I think there's a subtle distinction here between I, I see something, and someone told me it was X, Y, or Z, and so I'm identifying something based on what somebody told me. And, and of course, that's the scaffolding we all get when we are beginning, because that's how you begin. But at a certain point, the scaffolding has to come down. And we've got to be able to do exactly what you were just talking about, where we are able to look for ourselves and make the determinations, what am I seeing? Now, making that determination of what am I seeing is the first step. Of course, the second thing is, what am I going to do about it? And, and as you were pointing out, if you can see and identify the, like, the patterns that make up the target, and then bring in that idea of proportion. Now you've got a working hypothesis that you can really go to town on. And you know the boundaries of what you're working with. Yes, and that's, I like the working hypothesis because that's exactly what's happened. So I, you collect all the symptoms and you think you have all the patterns. All it is is a theory. Then you start to treat the patient. So the second visit... Actually, it's not a theory yet. It's a hypothesis. Okay. Theories are things that are proven. If you have a proven hypothesis, that's a theory. Many times we say we're working with theory. No, we're not. We're actually working with a hypothesis. We actually have to step back one step mm. in our perception and our way of approaching mm. things. A lot of times we use that word theory incorrectly. Theories have been are proven hypotheses. Much of the time, we're in the midst of proving or disproving a hypothesis. That's... I like it. When I was using the word theory, I was using it from like kind of a Chinese medical theory, which formed your hypothesis. But in diagnostics and in clinic, it's a hypothesis. Exact, exactly what I teach is this is just a working, working hypothesis. So you collect the information. It's a working model. And only through the proof that it is right and how, what is the proof? The patient gets better. So when I see a patient within one week, they're going to see a difference. If they don't, then I need to change the proportion or I need to increase the dosage, right? Which equals maybe changing some ingredients within one week. Every single patient I see, chronic condition, within one week, difference in their health. Often it's after one or two doses. If you get the right diagnosis and the proportion, they will notice very, 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 very quickly. But it all it is, is a working hypothesis until you get confirmation 
from the the patient, right? And then and then it changes. It changes as you go, and usually like a month to kind of get for a chronic condition to really fine tune it and get closer to the bullseye. But the mm-hmm. more experience you have, the closer you get to the bullseye right away, right? And so I'm not off the board ever, meaning I'm not totally off the board where I was in the beginning. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Well, I, I think the thing is in the beginning, we're not even sure what goes on the board. And as we get time in the boat, so to speak, and more time doing the work, it, it's, it becomes easier because we have experience to know what goes on the board. If you get the right things on the board, now, now you've got something to work with. Yeah. And I think part of this, so you're like, well, you don't have experience. Well, how do you gain experience? Well, you can study under other people, but also mentoring. You can learn to read Chinese and get hundreds of thousands of articles that where I remember translating this article on vitiligo and it was this doctor that treated 2,400 cases. I can tell you if you specialize in vitiligo your whole entire life, you're probably not going to see 2,400. And this person had an article about it. So that experience and the empirical knowledge of Chinese medicine can be used to gain experience and confidence, et cetera. So that's one way Mm -hmm. you can also do it, but the lack of mentoring. So if, if I was, I mentor people like professionals that have been practicing a long time, I get called in to consult on difficult cases. And what is it? They usually have part of the puzzle, but they're missing a few aspects or their proportions are off or their dosage is low. Unfortunately, they might have everything right, but the dose is too low. Which which brings us back to proportion. If your dose is too low, that is an error of proportion. Yep. So it's all about proportion, and but collecting the facts and allowing the information to do it. But a, a, a good mentor and a teacher can mentor you about the proportion or how long to do something for, or prognosis. These are things that are lacking. So the lack of mentorship, so you're saying, I get this level five knowledge, but I need level one. Well, how do you get closer to one? You have mentors. So four, I would be like, oh, I have a difficult uh, case in dermatology. So my teacher at the time was Mazin Al-Kafahaji. So I would try all the things that he taught me, which is postgraduate work, that didn't work. A difficult case, I would go to him. I tried X, Y, and Z. It didn't work. And my patients liked it. I said, I need to consult on this. Go to him. And then he gives me an idea. Well, usually that 
for 90% of people that works, but I found for these other 10%, this often works and I get more experience from him. And then maybe that patient gets better or maybe they don't. And then I'm like, he couldn't help him. I couldn't help him. Right. Sometimes that's the case. But I remember gynecology cases, uh, infertility, reaching out to Stephen Clavey on some cases. Bob Flaws was a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I had mentors that when I did this, then I couldn't get the answers. Then who do you go to? And it's a great way to like the people I mentor and get help them get clarity. Then these patients that would leave their practice and their business. Now they're paying to get some mentorship. But now we're talking about three patients an hour and now these patients are staying with you. And that's what I did with the uh, uh, register of Chinese herbal medicine. When I lived in England was I was a mentor and, and Paolo was a, uh, someone I mentored at the time. So they took, you had to do 50 hours a year of mentorship when you, when you first graduated and they would mentor with people that had. Wow. That's part of the requirement there that you have to get some kind of supervision mentorship. I don't think of it as supervision as more mentorship to help you with these things. So you can. Well, but, but I mean, I've got friends that are psychotherapists and I mean, some of them have been psychotherapists for decades and, and they'll still have supervision. They'll still talk to other practitioners also deeply experienced. It's sometimes hard to see our own experience. And so it takes going to somebody else sharing what you see. Sometimes they'll see the things that we're not seeing. Exactly. And, and the other thing that comes from that, I remember at Mazin's clinic in England, um, uh, Paula was working there. There was Andrew Flowers working there. Uh, Marcus Grasser, uh, this woman named Chin Lee. There's there's six, seven in Mazen was working there. But this person had 10. I had 10 years experience at the time. This person had 12. This person had 15. Mazen had 25. You put them all in the room and we start to talk about some cases. We start to talk about tinnitus. And everyone in the room was like, no, I don't like to treat tinnitus. So difficult to treat. Oh, I'm breath of relief. How many times I was trying to treat tinnitus and it not improving. And here we have 60, 70, 80 years of experience saying, ah, no one can. It's very difficult. So tinnitus is hard. Yeah. So this is just this type of experience is invaluable. And I think anything you want to do in life, you have to have a mentor. I learned to keep uh, bees. I had a mentor. I learned to make maple syrup, big thing here in where I am in Canada. My grandfather did it, but he had passed. So I found an older gentleman who wanted me to carry in the, the sweet water and taught me how to boil it. And he had an extra person staying through the night boiling. And I learned. So I think anytime I want to learn something, uh, you know, I want to get mentored. I wanted to learn to translate Chinese. Then I like reached out to all these people translating Chinese. How did you do it? How can I do it? And then I developed my own way. Um, but one of the things earlier is any good doctor questions things. Any person that's at a high level of anything questions these. And it's a simple question. Is this true? So whether a person told me this or not, is it true? Whether I read it or not, is it true? And, oh, I'm this person's a menopause, so they uh, kidney yin deficiency. Is that true? Is it true? And so I asked this question, is that true? Not based on what someone said or read or what it's supposed to be. Um, and I wrote a book on bedwetting many years ago. And I don't know if this, this I translated like 150, 160 uh, approaches and research, et cetera. 
and so bedwetting is pretty simple. It's like a chi deficiency of the lung or the spleen or, or kidney weakness, uh, not holding, and you can break it into yin or yang, or an excess pattern of damp heat. These are the basic three patterns. Now, I, so I read this article and it was this doctor saying it was stomach heat. So they did a case study and the, you know, they had all the typical like mouse sores and excess of hunger and like all the stomach heat, but they also had bedwetting. And then he gave a uh, Ching Wei Sun to clear heat from the stomach formula and the person got better. And I don't know if it made it into the book. I can't remember, but it was just stood out. You have to treat what you see. When we get these textbooks, it says these are the most common patterns. These are kind of the guidelines that most cases. So they take uh, irritable bowel syndrome and they say, well, these are the most common patterns. And they take multiple sclerosis. These are the most common patterns. And these are the TCM diseases that equal this. So it helps us to get this, what we call a magic funnel. We have all these patterns, but we have to funnel it down to what it is. And we do that through confirming a certain pattern or confirming that it isn't a certain pattern, right? So we would say, oh, is this liver yang rising? And you say, well, liver yang rising actually means there's yin deficient symptoms as well. And then you're like, no, it's, it's, it is this liver heat rising, but there's no yin deficiency. What do you call that? You call that depressive heat. And then you're like, and then liver fire is there's no yin deficient, but it's fire symptoms. Fire tends to go upwards. It tends to cause sores. It's more severe uh, and it causes bleeding. So if you don't have the sores or the bleeding and so forth, then it's, it's liver heat or fire. What is that? If it's not liver fire, if it's not just repletion, it's depressive heat. You see? So the, the information yes. is right yes. there for us. It's, it's the, ba the basics. But question things. Is it true? Is it true they have this? Or are we making it up because we want to be right, as you said? And we don't really know. Or it's too much work to figure things out. It's too complex. So I'm just going to do this simple thing because it's too complex. Well, you could do the simple thing. That kind of falls under do no harm, perhaps. But I'm, I'm thinking here, first of all, I love this question, is it so? Is it true? Because that is helpful in all kinds of areas of life, including how you get along with your family or your friends or your community or your politics or whatever. That's a, that's a potent question, my friend. That is a powerfully potent question. Is this true? Is this so? I, uh, I, I thank you for that. That that just brings a bell for me. And the other piece is something that you had said earlier, um, and, and, and this is what we see with our textbooks. Oh, it could be this pattern, could be this pattern, could be this pattern. That's like a teacher saying, this is the thing, as opposed to saying, look at this and tell me what you see, right? And what I hear you saying is, we've got these patterns. These patterns are not reality. These patterns teach us how to think in a certain way so that we can understand the dynamic. If we can see the dynamic, now we've got the right things to put on the board. Now we start, now we start shooting some arrows to find out what our proportions are. Yes. And the inner, so it's really the interconnected. How is this interconnected? So for instance, if you look up, like I said, mastery is mastery of the basics. You look at blood deficiency, look in any textbook, what is the cause of blood deficiency? These are simple things we diagnose every day, but what is the cause of blood deficiency? The cause of blood deficiency are three things. 
It could be blood stasis. And so that's, there's a static blood. There's kind of this old blood. So you have to transform the old to create the new. This is used in gynecology after giving birth and, and, and so forth. But it's, it's a minor part of theories and talked about. Then you have excessive blood loss. So you have blood deficiency because you've lost excessive blood. And then the third one is your spleen is weak. So in a chronic condition, it's almost always the spleen is weak if there's blood deficient symptoms. Always. Why is the spleen weak in women more than men? Well, they give birth, they menstruate, and they breastfeed. So we know that. We know through the Neijing, it says at the age of 35, the Yongming starts to decline. So the spleen chi, especially in a woman, starts to decline around the age of 35. So their spleen symptoms come up. And we then yin is half used up by 40. These are ancient things. So the most common patient is a female, a 35 to 50-year-old professional female. That's the most common person that comes to see a practitioner of Chinese medicine. So if we know the tendency towards this, and we look at blood, if they have blood deficiency, and then liver, the liver is yang in function because it moves the qi, it courses and discharges the qi, and it's yin in nature, in form. It stores the blood. So what that means is if the liver qi isn't moving, it could be because there's not enough blood nourishing. So one aspect, we call it emolliating the liver or softening the liver. And what does that mean? It means nourish the liver blood so that the liver qi moves better. Yes, drink some peony root juice. Yes, it's uh, Bai Xiao and Dong Gui. And you look to the ancient formulas. When you look at uh, Li Dong Yun's formula, he had 30, 330 formulas, and he usually would add Dong Gui or Bai Xiao into every formula. Why? Because he also actively moved the qi mechanism, and he gave lots of qi supplements to the spleen. Okay? It shows up in Bu Zhang Yi Qi. So you want to make sure that there's some blood in there as well. If you're working with the chi, you want to make sure that you're also giving a nod to the blood because of their intricate, um, intimate relationship with each other. But this idea of softening the liver to help the chi move better. So there you can see how it's easy for liver depression, chi stagnation due to our lifestyle, the spleen being weak and blood deficiency is just three to start. And then you look at blood deficiency. What does blood deficiency, what does that cause? Well, if you're blood deficient, your spleen chi is going to be weak. If you're blood deficient, your blood's not going to move as well, so it can lead to blood stasis. And if you're blood deficient, it can lead to yin deficiency, which can lead to deficiency heat. So all you need to do is look at these in the, the diagram in the Journal of Chinese Medicine, the one I sent you, is looking at this map of, and just asking, where what can blood deficiency lead to? Look at any textbook and, and, and draw the line. And I just told you the four ways. And then liver chi can go five ways and spleen chi can go five or six ways and depressive heat can go. So if you understand these basic mechanisms that almost every patient of ours has these things, so it's, you don't have to look far, but then you have to look at stuff like blood deficient. So a person says, a student says to me or someone or mentor, they have blood deficiency. I go, okay, what are the symptoms? And I would say, what is blood deficient? Is it the liver or the heart? The very different symptoms. The liver, you're breaking your nails, you're maybe dry eyes, trouble seeing at night, driving. That's a key liver blood symptom. You might have spasms or twitching due to the not nourishment of the tendons of the gin, right? You have these types. And then the heart, you might have palpitations. Pale face relates to the heart. Pale tongue, thin pulse relates to the heart. So you see the, the difference in symptoms, but that means different herbs or different acupuncture points. So we could get simplified and say blood deficiency. And I'm saying, okay, 
you're not done yet. Let's, which, which one is it? Right. So which one is it exactly? So like blood deficiency, great. What kind of blood deficiency? Yes. And then that chooses. And, and is that primary or like, where did that blood deficiency come from? Let's follow that track. So yeah, this is why Chinese medicine is such a wonderful and curious and difficult thing to practice. It's, it, it, it's these amazing puzzles that on one hand I, I find, well, I don't know if I'd say entertaining, maybe a little entertaining. I mean, intellectually, it will keep you sharp. At the same time, it's so difficult because things are interrelated. We need to look at what what the, I'm using air quotes here, thing is, be that sheet deficiency, blood deficiency, stagnation, heat, whatever. And then more importantly, at least in my way of looking at things, we need to look at the relationships between the things. It's one thing to name the thing. And it's important and it's helpful and we need it. But we also have to understand the dynamic and the relationship between those parts. So on one hand, we're looking at a snapshot. At the same time, we're looking at a movie and we need to do them both simultaneously. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not easy. You know what's not easy is if you don't have a map. And so you got it. Yeah, that's yeah, right. So it's basically like you've been wandering around and you haven't had a, you like practitioners don't have a map. So what was offered to me early on was a map, which was these old, older theories that provide us a map. Lee Dong Yun developed the theory of yin fire. What was Lee Dong Yun's life? He grew up during famine. He grew up during a Mongol invasion of the area, right? So there was there was stress and improper diet, but he was describing autoimmune and allergic conditions way back then, right? Because what are we now? We're in this, you know, he was the one that was saying how too much um, of this causes internal cause of disease. We had the Shanghai Lun, which is everything coming from external, but this is like, when did we say, how can heat in the body be internally generated? Through emotions, right? through emotions it can be generated anything stagnates or any emotion in excess can transform into fire there's a tcm quote that that has us so you know having a map and recently like i mentioned i just developed this after many years of my own head and all these theories about how i can explain it in a simplified way and the interconnected to this and if you give this map or I'm shining light or pointing in a direction that I see something different than most people see. Let's say that it's different, but the people that are seeing have been traveling for a while. They're going to be like, that's the map I need. That's the map. I that's the map that I've been seeing, but no, I couldn't put words to the map. And once you have the map, it's, it's, it's great because you work with people 12, 15, 20 years experience, you give them the map and they're like, even when I created the map for myself, even though it was in my head, it's much simpler to to reference and to explain. So having a map, right, and then creating your map. Having a map can help you to recognize the territory. It's not the territory, of course, but it can help you yeah. to recognize it's not new. the territory. This isn't new. It's just how it's connected. No, and, and in fact, you sound like a Jin Yuren kind of doctor. <laughs> I don't know. It's just this inner, it's a lot of contemplation over many years, but then you see each patient and they all have it. So it's, you know, it's just a reconfirmation every time you see a patient and you said, 
you're it's curious and i'm i'm also interested too it's because for me it's like oh there it is again well, there's the unfulfilled desires leading to this, leading to this, leading to that. And then you look at how the pandemic's happening and how it's affecting. It's not causing a new pattern, but it's per sure putting a whole lot of stress on the liver. The liver's job is to adapt to environment and change. So when you are asked to adapt to environment and change, that can stress the system out. Yes. Well, and we're kind of back to proportion here, because when I think about the pandemic and I think about everything that we're seeing as a result... It's not like there's a new thing, but the same old things are there in larger proportion, commensurate with the stress of the pandemic. Yeah. So a person that had liver depression, cheese stagnation before, before the pandemic, it could, the pandemic, for instance, can relieve certain things and make things worse. So I studied a lot on insomnia. So over 50% of people have severely uh, disturbed sleep since the pandemic started. That's a fact. But 6% of people, their sleep's better. Maybe they're not doing the commute. Maybe they're spending less time in the meetings that they didn't like. Maybe So any type of stress, you know, a person retires, it relieves their stress. Another person <laughs> retires and it causes them stress. So the same thing. And in clinic, when I teach and mentor, a lot of people say, oh, they had, they were abused. So that means they have this. And I say, no, what are the symptoms? So let me give you an analogy. This is the analogy. Right, right. So it's like, show me how that's manifesting in this moment in their, in their situation. In, in the patient. So mm -hmm. I had this woman yesterday, I mentioned earlier about the husband with the, with the, the cancer. And you could say, oh, that's caused her to have more cheese stagnation. But her symptoms aren't cheese stagnation. It's actually chi and blood deficiency. It's put more drain on her. She has to do more herself. And that's wearing her system down. Now she can't sleep. I could understand if it was cheese stagnation symptoms, but in this patient, it's not how it presents. This is the analogy I use always for this about stress. You have this two people driving and the, the traffic lights, there's a malfunction in it. So what happens is there ends up being an accident, but it's no one's fault, no person's fault, but there's an accident and they hit, two cars hit. The first person that gets out of the car gets out of the car and they're a big football player. They're 300 pounds, you know, 5% body fat. They get out, they're red, their face is red. They're yelling, what's going on here? Why did you, you know, they're blaming everyone, etc. The person in the other car is an elderly woman of 80 years old. And she's like, what happened? And he's kind of con confused and like she withdraws and starts to cry and I didn't mean to do it. Is it my fault? Same stress, different response. Mm -hmm. So you cannot assume Oh, they did this. This means this. Oh, they drink alcohol. That means they they have heat. No, they could have dampness or they might not have anything. They're like, oh, they have sex five times a week and they're 50 years old. So that means their kidney essence is going to be deficient. Maybe not. It could actually be very healthy for them because it's moving their chi and it's a way of them dealing with stress and it's good for their heart and it's good for their prostate and all these things. So we make these assumptions based on these old theories, but once again, follow the symptoms, follow the patient. How much is too much? Well, it could be a sip of coffee is causing a problem sleeping at night, and then another person it isn't. So question things. Is it true? And it will be true when you see like where the, where the tire hits the road, rubber hits the road. You'll see from the patient. But if we start making our own assumptions, and my teacher said this, and it's always this, and I would be like, is that true? In this moment with this patient, and if you can get get out of your own way, and that's me, I've been, the better I get, 
that practicing medicine is I get out of my own way and I make less and less assumptions. That's how I get better, basically. I think this is probably a great spot to wind it down for the moment. We may have to come back for another conversation, but but for now, I, I, I love ending this on, is that true? Is that so? That is, again, it's such a powerful question. We can take it into our practice. We can take it into our life. We can look at the world in general. It, it is such a useful way to stay in the moment, look and see what's in front of us. So I, I really appreciate that. Rob, if, if people want to find you, uh, and I could put this on the show notes page as well, but where would they go to find out more about what you're doing and what you're up to? Yeah, you'll you'll start to see a lot more of me. So I've been kind of withdrawn and taking this in, and, and now I'm kind of going out into the world with more teachings and sharing what I know and kind of transitioning from being a teacher who kind of shares all the perspectives to kind of sharing more my perspective. And that's why I appreciate being here today to to be to share. Um, but yeah, we'll put some notes on the things, but there'll be different platforms you'll see me in, different medical journal articles like the Journal of Chinese Medicine. I've just written an article on COVID somnia uh, from the pandemic. There'll be a second part to that. The first part is about the theory, then there'll be case studies in the second part. The Lantern is, is we'll be releasing an article, the Register of Ch- uh, Chinese Herbal Medicine um, magazine or journal will also. So there'll be more and more coming forward. I'll be doing courses with the TCM Academy in the future as well. So you'll see courses through there and also the Journal of Chinese Medicine. So there'll be lots of opportunity uh, for you to find find me out there. And you can all, you know, we'll put my contact information. A lot of people just mentor and so forth, but I don't have a huge social media platform and so forth. I'm just a practitioner, basically. I do re- I do research and I, and I write and I do these things, but really it just comes down to I'm just a practitioner out there seeing and treating as many and helping people. And I want to improve Chinese medicine. And by doing that is just to question things. How can we grow? How do you grow Chinese medicine? People want proof of this and convince this person. Just help people lessen their suffering and help them get better. That's how Chinese medicine, but we cannot do it using these basic theories. We need to dig deeper, go deeper, deeper understanding of the patients. And there will help more people and Chinese medicine will grow and flourish. Just because more people are doing Chinese medicine does not mean that we're in a healthy state. If we don't go deeper, it's not going to be good because people won't get help where they need it. So I'm, I'm happy to help you. Hopefully this helps you go a little deeper and hope in the future you can always reach out and doing different courses and classes and so forth. Great. I so appreciate our time together today and I can hardly wait to get into clinic with uh, is this so yeah all right all right thanks so much Rob all right thanks Michael bye for now there's a lot to take away from this conversation I rather enjoyed the challenge of letting go of the idea that we are treating with layers like an onion and instead taking the view that All the dynamics of what's going on for your patients are all present, and it's up to us to attend to the proportions of that complexity. Not deal with one thing at a time because, in fact, you cannot deal with one thing at a time as everything is connected and influences everything else. So attending to the complexity from the perspective of proportion, it seems doable with some practice. 
and the role of depressive heat, how it can arise from so many ways that the chi and the blood do not properly flow and transform. And that too is an inquiry worth bringing into the treatment room to investigate for yourself. As Rob mentioned in this conversation, you can find out more about his work both in The Lantern and the Journal of Chinese Medicine. So check those out if this conversation has ignited a spark for you. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. <laughs>